0: Welcome to the TCO Method, the only show focused on helping you massively increase your net operating income. I am Andy McQuaid, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Thursday edition of the podcast. Today is June 15th, 2023, and I give you the date specifically because of the topic I'm going to cover today is a little bit about the news and a whole lot about operations. So we'll keep it as concise as possible. I apologize in advance if I go off on any tangents. Let's get right into it. So, starting a couple months ago, with the collapse of SVB, Signature Bank, and a couple of others that were impacted that carry some
1: sizable multifamily commercial mortgages, people were awoken, slightly, to
0: the fact that rising interest rates have a functional operational cost to multifamily. Why is that? Well, a lot of multifamily operators took floating rate debt to bridge until they could sell the property or refinance it into a traditional mortgage.
1: That's the simple explanation. What's happening is the decline of zero
0: interest rate policy has um the most politically i don't care about politically correct zero interest rate allowed lots of businesses
1: that had no business being in business to function they were operating purely on cash flow and debt and not actually making money yeah we work i'm looking at you so when interest rates double suddenly
0: People can't afford to make their debt service payments anymore. Why is that a big deal? Well, for one, net operating income doesn't look at debt service. It doesn't look at your personal income taxes. It doesn't look at your capital expenditure budget or what you've actually spent. It also doesn't look at your cash reserves. So net operating income is not everything, but it can get you out of some sticky situations. Now. The companies that have been negatively impacted were doing what everybody was doing, right? There's no like, wow, you're a moron. Why did you do this? You're an outlier. No, the whole industry was doing it because they could, right? Rising tide lifts all ships or lifts all boats, whatever you want to say. Um, It's true. Zero interest rates allowed a whole lot of businesses to do things and operate in ways that we're not sustainable in a real economy with real interest rates. For one, I don't believe we'll ever see zero interest rates again. If we do, we're in a whole lot more trouble than we are now in the long run because you're just kicking a can. We're back to a little higher than normal average interest rates. I think normal average interest rates are close to 6% over 40 years. So, yeah. Your business needs to function in normal financial times as well as in exceptionally easy money times. That's just reality. Couple that with the rise of lawsuits against syndicators who are being nailed for offering securities and making promises they couldn't keep now because, well, I mean, let's look at it objectively. Most of them had no business being in the business to begin with. They saw an opportunity to get into real estate, they saw an opportunity to go in and take a cut of people's money to put deals together and had no clue how to actually operate that in anything but a zero interest rate environment. So there were no budgets for operations, there were no budgets for capital improvements, Uh, rents were able to be raised through the roof To the sky, unlimited rent increases because that's what everybody was doing because housing was, you know, extremely scarce because of zero evictions and all the other stuff caused by the pandemic. So it's a perfect storm of stupid is what I'd like to call it. Now, what does that mean for the average investor? Absolutely nothing. Because the average investor is stuck working in reality with real numbers and real math and real interest rates. What does that mean for the syndicators? It means that some of them are going to be in trouble. They didn't have risk management in place. They didn't have somebody at the top looking over the shoulder of what was happening operationally from a budget standpoint, from a capital expenditure standpoint, from a feasibility standpoint. You can't make, in a normal environment, you can't make unlimited upgrades with no budget to a property without it being able to justify the expense over a period of time. What's that period of time? In a perfect world, the period of time would be however long it is between your big reno upgrades that you do in order to value add to the property and raise rents again. Right? And we're not talking a 2-3% to rent increases every year or 5% rent increases every year that you do just to keep up with inflation in in a normal economy anyway. Um, We're talking about like real upgrades to bring the property back to market value okay so typically back in the day people would look for an roi of three to five years on improvements and upgrades that they would make that would be paid for by the additional rent and then you would cash flow on those those improvements from years five to seven or five to ten depending on what your you know ideal payback period is and how long you're going to hold the property and all those other things like there's a lot of parts that go into it but the long and short of it is if you're going to do something you need a budget and that needs to pay for itself over time with whatever extra revenue you're going to drive through that now it could be increasing noi because you could be cutting maintenance expenses because anytime you do a real upgrade your maintenance expenses go down until stuff starts breaking you know two to three years later But it could also be from cutting utilities, right? Cutting utility expenses. It could be from uh, creating efficiencies and establishing processes that reduce your, your cash outflows. It could be, you know, just having better handle on your vendor management inside your operations so that you're getting better prices, better service, less headaches, better quality products, a little bit of innovation. There's, there's a lot of things that happen with a a positive supplier relationship management program that don't happen when you're just participating in the race to the bottom. So all that being said, these companies are now stuck with debt service they can't pay, blown budgets, operational overhead that they didn't plan on in the form of insurance increases and property tax increases. both of those should have been communicated to them through their vendor management office, through their procurement function, through the relationships they've built with their insurance brokers and attorneys, ideally. like Anytime you file a lien or a lien is filed on a property, they're going to adjust your property taxes to chase that. They're not just going to let you sit on it at the old tax rate after there's a note A lean file. That's just not going to happen. So there's some operational ignorance. And um, yeah, I don't want to go too far down the road. But things were mismanaged. So now we're starting to see the fallout from that. And there's this huge panic. Oh my God, the world is ending. Blah, blah, blah. Syndicator this, syndicator that. Lawsuit, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, It is what it is. Okay? It happens every single time there's a quote-unquote, easy money push in the economy, especially in real estate, because real estate is really something you can go into with very little prior education or training specific to real estate and make a name for yourself and make a lot of money. That's one of the beauties of real estate. The downside is that the risk increases with less experienced, less honest and ethical operations. Now, some of them just genuinely didn't know what they didn't know. Some of them don't care because a lot of these syndicators didn't tie their income and earnings to the success of the project. They tied it to the acquisition and the fundraising, where they took 2% of the capital or 1.5% of the capital or 3% of the capital, whatever it is. But what they didn't tell people was they weren't taking it from the bank that was securing the note for the other 80% of that mortgage on that property, they were taking it from their fund investors, which means they were really taking closer to 10% of the money that was getting dumped into the pot. Perspective is everything. If you don't like what I'm saying right now, you can send me an email to podcast at tcomethod.com. I will gladly debate you. Anyway. (laughs) So, the point of this podcast isn't to harp on the negative, it's to tell people, this is creating opportunity. Every time there's a hot rush, and people go all in on stuff, and everybody sees the low-hanging fruit, and you see the spike in interest, and you see everybody and their brother becoming a syndicator, a capital raiser, a this, a that. Generally, if everybody's doing it, and they're all piling in like that, it means you've already missed it, for one. Like, you've missed the opportunity. You should have been on the, bu- on the bandwagon prior to the mad rush. The other thing is that when you see that mad rush, it also means that there's a lot of scammers that are out there that are just trying to make a quick buck. Think about how many new real estate agents were created during COVID, during the, the housing shortage, and just the pandemic in general, because houses were selling like hotcakes. You know, I mean, realtors were literally being fired by home builders. They hadn't, you know, they stopped using realtors altogether because every single thing that they could build was selling instantly for more than what they were asking. Builder margins went through the roof to the highest level in 40 years. They were over 35% gross margin on a house, which has been unheard of for as long as I can remember. I've been in the industry since 97 and it's never been that case. And remodelers and home builders were like making money hand over fist the downside is now that those two same companies have to report net decreases in sales because of the, the decrease in lumber prices and the fact that there's been some margin pressure. We'll see how far it's going to go as time progresses, right? But anyway, so the point of this podcast is to make sure you're keeping your eye on the ball for the opportunities that are going to come. Every time there's mismanagement, every time there's An economic downturn, opportunities are created in real estate. You're going to see, as the tide comes out, you're going to see a lot of ships grounded on the shoals. Okay? Your job, what you should be looking for, is the opportunity to get in there, buy that asset at the right price, fix it up and operate it, and make some money. Don't do things the wrong way. Control your NOI, control your budget, control your quote-unquote uncontrollable expenses like utilities there are ways to reduce your annual outlay on a lot of things now if your property was built that you're looking at picking up you know post 2010 clearly your energy improvement projects are not going to have the same roi as if you go in and do an energy improvement project in a, a 50s to 70s built community right If it was built in the 80s, early 90s, there's still some potential meat on the bone there that could be, you know, significant five to six figures if the property is big enough or if your portfolio is big enough. But those are all longer term plays, right? You can't immediately gain ROI on changing fixtures. Why? Well, because if it's not through a government grant, you're buying them. Then you're spending money to save money, which is okay. Spend the save is good. But it's a long-term play. Right? If your disposition plan is to hold it for a couple of years and then sell it for a higher value than you bought it for, that's not going to work for you. By the same token, are you, are you willing to wait, you know, two or three years
1: for the ROI on, ROI on those projects if you had to pay for it? Not if you're going to sell it. Right? So...
0: You need to find things that you can do that can increase your net operating income now, right? Insulate yourselves from the stupid that's going on. Interest rates should probably continue rising. Inflation still out of control. There's still a lot of weird variables out in the global economy with issues with Taiwan and Ukraine and Russia and whatever that can impact things and, and tie things up and, and really hurt. Not just the construction real estate industries, but the overall economy. So you need to be aware of that. The lack of awareness is exactly why these operators are where they are. They didn't follow the money. They didn't ask the questions in the news about what's the motivator for this information coming out. If you've ever read the book Animal Spirits, or are familiar with the term Animal Spirits as it relates to the markets, you will know what I'm talking about. You always have to go back to the core motivator behind the news. If there's somebody out there screaming at the top of their lungs that everything is fine, and that everything will go back to normal, and... Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, if you're a Wizard of Oz fan. If that's the stuff they're doing, you need to be looking even harder at what the motivation is behind the story. A recent example of that is look at all of the office real estate managers and operators and owners that pushed so hard to convince everybody through the media that it was still a good investment and everybody was going to be back in the office. Right after the pandemic was over. How's that working out for you now? Office is not dead. Not by any means.
1: I'm not saying that. There's been a paradigm shift. And so office is at the top of the food chain as
0: far as negative impacts. Not the top of the food chain. The top of the list.
1: As far as negative impacts. So what does that mean? Well it means that office probably isn't worth what it was even class A, it means that spaces are gonna be smaller. It means that
0: leases are going to be a little tougher to sign in certain markets. And it's very fractional, it's regional, right? The, the, The real estate industry as a whole is very much demographically and geographically segmented in ways that makes it very hard to quantify the overall picture and what's, and what's happening. Some stuff is going to go great in some areas and go terrible in others. That's
1: just the reality of the industry. But I digress. The point is the people who were screaming the, loud le- the
0: loudest that everything was going to be fine with office are the ones who had a financial interest in making sure that there was cash and investment coming into a, the office category of real estate investment because they literally got paid
1: for office, either leasing, owning, managing, brokering deals. It was their bread and butter. They were looking
0: out for their bottom line, for their interest, for their pocket. The problem with that is that it was kind of the blind leading the blind. Now, if they knew office was gonna take it on the chin and they were misleading people, that's an ethical problem. If they believed the hype that everything was going to be fine because somebody that they trusted said it
1: was, then they just weren't aware of what was actually going on in the world. Anyway. Now we see it with syndicators. Everything is fine. Put your money with us. We know
0: what we're doing. Blah, blah, blah. The only people, and this goes into who's on your team, other, other episodes that we've already done, The only people I would trust in a syndication right now are strong operators with a track record of success that have realistic returns on your investment, realistic timeframes for how the investment is going to be operated, handled, and disposed of, right? And who have actually worked in a down real estate economy. They need to have seen. What happened during the great financial crisis, right? 07, 08, 09, 2010, 2011. They need to have functioned and done something involving real estate then. Not just been house closings. Like they need to actually have been involved in commercial real estate on some level then. Because if they were not, then there's literally no reason you should be putting your faith in them. Unless they can show you that their money is just as much at risk as your money and that they're not just taking their pay from the acquisition. I'm sure that that sentence didn't make me any
1: friends. I don't really care. It's an investment, right? You should be just as exposed as the rest of the investors.
0: Yes, you're doing the work. Yes, it's a job. Yes, you should get paid for your time and effort.
1: However, 10% of your investors' proceeds they're going into the deal upfront before you've actually executed anything. It's probably a little steep. Yeah. I said it. Don't like it? Podcast at tcomethod.com. Anyway,
0: by the same token we see tons of people advertising their success on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and whatever saying that they're they have this many millions of dollars in assets under management and that they own this many units or this many thousands of square feet how much of it do you really own
1: you own a dollar Of each square foot? You have 10,000 square feet? You own $10,000? Like The numbers are meaningless. You need to look past the numbers to the motivation and the truth. There's a lot of people out
0: there who want to make themselves seem more successful than they really are. They make it seem like they're a bigger deal and a bigger player than they really are. As someone who worked with and still works with Privately held family offices of multiple, multiple thousands of doors in multiple states. I can tell you that there is a large difference in the acumen, strategy, planning, and execution of these large operators and these knuckleheads on LinkedIn and Twitter who want to be all and end all. Okay. It's literally 97% of the time apples and oranges. They're not even in the same
1: pond, let alone the same ocean. Yeah, they're like an amoeba in the Atlantic compared to some of these people. Because these people don't fluff their numbers
0: and say they own 10,000 units, even though they've only really invested like $25,000. These are people who if they're managing properties, probably won't take less than a 10% ownership stake in each individual property they manage. Or, if they own them outright, they literally have billions of dollars in real estate. Billions. So, the perspective changes. When you look past the stupidity and the numbers, and the flash, and the drama, and the BS on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter, and you start to see what the real operators do versus what some of these, you know, startups do. Like everybody starts somewhere. There's nothing to be ashamed of by being a new guy, having done it, started investing,
1: you know, growing their business, looking to scale, doing all the things. But there's a big difference in we'll call it ethics of appearance. Be honest,
0: be genuine. You'll probably make more friends by being like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I invested in some. Or I, you know, I invested, you know, 25 grand into this deal and 50 grand into that deal. As opposed to, well, I I have this many millions of dollars of assets under management. Well, cool. What do you own of that? I have this many units. Awesome. You have a dollar per unit. Like, how much of it do you own? I have thousands and thousands of stocks. Yeah, shit, they're penny stocks, but I have thousands of stocks. I'm a stock trader. No, that's not how it works. It shouldn't work that way in real estate either. Sit down and shut up. Anyway. All right. So what can you do today to impact your NOI based on everything that's going on and all the panic in the economy?
1: Oh, my God, this guy is falling, blah, blah, blah. Well, control your controllables. Don't defer maintenance going to cost you more in the long run if you're looking to sell the asset your deferred maintenance plan may change
0: you want to spike your noi for 12 months before you try to get it sold so that it's worth more like i get it i don't necessarily agree with it but i get it seen it done lots and lots of times by big and small operators it it is what it is but the reality is when you defer maintenance you're going to pay something like two to three times what it would have cost you if you had just fixed it when the problem started that seems like bad math to me. Oh, but the interest rates. Oh, no, no, hold on. Slow down. Yes, I understand interest rates are higher. But you're talking about taking a $250 or $300 problem and making it into
1: a $1,000, multiple $1,000 problem or more by neglecting it. I don't care what the interest rate is.
0: These interest rates aren't permanent. You're going to see some normalization and they're going to start coming down once inflation's
1: under control tripling or doubling your expense in the short term is stupid. Period. I don't care what your budget is. I'm telling you right now, 90% of the time your budget's wrong. Why? Because it's always built around stepping over dollars to pick
0: up pennies. I have yet to walk into an operation where that's not the case. Change management is a thing. It has costs beyond just training people and getting them
1: out in the field. So, what else can you do? Negotiate with your vendors. All of them. 1099s, insurance, vendors that sell product.
0: All of them. You need to look at what you're bringing them at scale. If you own more than one property, more than one LLC, more than one whatever. You need to be looking at all of those and combining them into a single entity so that the vendor
1: can see what you're really bringing to the table. I can tell you from the supply side, properties change hands so quickly that they
0: they probably don't actually know everything you're bringing to them unless you have everything centralized on your purchasing, which is very hard to do in multifamily and commercial. So you need to be looking at how to do that. You can centralize some of purchasing as far as setting standards, relationships, rebates, terms, service levels, pricing, products. You can set all that stuff at the corporate level and have it executed at the local level when the local level's purchasing. You don't have to take everything away and create new jobs in your office. We're trying to save money, not spend more. What we might need to do is reallocate resources in a more intelligent way. There's all sorts of systems out there that will allow you or force your properties to purchase from specific vendors. There's another conversation here that we're not getting into today because a lot of those are also GPOs, which is basically whoever's operating that web portal that allows your people to buy, whether it's Yardi, whether it's OneSite, whether it's whatever. They're taking pre-negotiated rebates and pricing discounts and keeping them for themselves as well as better terms. Like they might be getting 90-day terms and passing 30 on to you, which I know is what Yardy does if you use the Yardi marketplace. They'll take 90-day terms, but they'll give you 30 or maybe 60 if you're really big and lucky. But they take all the discounts and rebates on all the product that you buy through that portal. So you're essentially buying at retail instead of at market slash wholesale slash volume-based purchasing power pricing. So, just be careful with those portals and also be careful with GPOs because GPOs do the same thing. They literally pay their bills based on what you buy from them by taking all those rebates and stuff. They really don't have a place in real estate operations unless you're pooling Like office supplies
1: and maybe some cleaning supplies and stuff. Show for another day. Alright, so what else can you do?
0: Where can you make cuts to increase your NOI without sacrificing quality, tenant satisfaction, curb appeal? When something fails, maybe instead of buying the same exact thing that's already there, you upgrade it to something that won't need maintenance again for a while. We don't know how long this is going to last. This could be a two-year blip, could be a six-month blip, but if you know you can pay for something by upgrading it, and you're already on the hook to pay for it, spend a little bit of extra money and fix it quote-unquote right, but fix it in a way that adds some resilience, sustainability, and more money to your bottom line. I'm going to look at the camera again right now if you're watching on YouTube.
1: your budget is probably wrong. Sometimes you have to spend to save. And it's okay. As long as you can show an ROI
0: for it, someone somewhere should listen. If they don't, they should be fired. God, I'm going to get a lot of emails from this episode. Podcast at TCOMethod.com What else can you do? Where else can you go? You cut hours, is that gonna work? You don't really wanna cut labor headcount, right? If you're in a situation where you need to increase your NOI by firing people that are on your team, chances are you were overstaffed or there was something else going on anyway. So there's always an opportunity to upgrade talent, right? But in this economy, what used to work as far as cutting payroll, taking benefits away from employees, doing all that stuff, all you're gonna do is burn bridges and you're going to make it harder to fill. Because the jobs that are required at a property, for, for blue-collar specifically, but even leasing agents and office staff, people don't want to do those jobs. They're all going to college, getting these degrees and these MBAs, and doing all this fancy-schmancy shit, and expecting to come out of college making six figures so they can pay for their six figures in college loans, and buy a house and do all this stuff that, is essentially out of reach for most of them because they just don't have a a, a good sense of reality. Again, a
1: show for another day. But you really need to be focused on retention because it will cost you more to replace
0: a higher paid, higher experienced individual who shows up every day than you save by cutting their hours, taking away their benefits or getting rid of them.
1: This happens in 100% of cases right now. You will never replace somebody with someone who costs you less. Training, onboarding, skill
0: set development. These things all have a cost. If you were doing process costing, you would know that. Why do I keep talking about process costing? Because it's what grown-up organizations do. If you're looking to scale, if you're looking to Get better at what you do, you need to have a firm grasp on what every single thing that happens in your organization costs you, both in actual money and in opportunity cost. And then you need to have a firm grasp on what everything you do costs you in opportunity cost and real money.
1: It's not just about time. Because guess what? Time is money. Everything in business is money.
0: Every single input and output comes down to dollars and cents. It is quantifiable. And that means the stuff we choose not to do or that we don't take action on or that we miss the boat on is an actual opportunity cost with dollars and
1: cents as the result. Positive or negative. If you don't like it, I don't really know how to help you because you will never be able to scale to the fullest of your ability if you continue half-assing it. That's life. So, anyway, yet again, podcast at tclmethod.com. We're at
0: time. I probably should have gone more into depth on a couple of things,
1: but start thinking about where you can impact your bottom line today without
0: negatively impacting it later. And that math will serve you every single time in a positive fashion. If you like today's episode, if you hate today's episode, if you want to talk more about today's episode, Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave a comment on the episode. I will respond to it. Send me a comment on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, Andy McQuaid. Or maybe McQuaid Andy on Instagram and Twitter. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Go to my website, AndyMcQuaid.com. You can find all my links there, there. And then I don't have to explain it on this podcast. Go subscribe, leave a review, leave a comment, share it, let people know it's out there. I appreciate you. It is Thursday. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.